You gotta believe that. I mean, you could look at your life and say, not this life. This, this is not a life worth dying for. But Jesus saw otherwise. Jesus saw that there was something in store for our future that was worth dying for. In fact, even more than that, it was built on the fact that He loves us unconditionally. So with that in mind, just knowing that He died for us, even while we were yet sinners, gives us that much more of a purpose for living. Because sometimes we'll look at our past and say, well, but my past, there's so much junk there, there's so many things that I've done wrong. Why would, why would God want to use me? Why would He want me to do anything for Him? And why would, why would I be in a place to make a difference for Him? Why? All the things that I've done, it doesn't calculate to God dying for me, sending His Son to die for me. It just doesn't add up. But not until we understand the heart of God. See, our past and all the things that we've done and, and what people have said, that's usually what drags us down, not who God is. God is the one that actually picks us up. That's why we're starting this new series, More God, Less Me. I mean, think about it. If it was more God in us and less of us, then our families would change, our marriages would change for the better. And you may be in a place where it is more God and less and less and less of us. And we're learning that there is a difference when we say, God, I need more of you and less of me. I mean, think about it. Wives, if there was more God in your husbands and less of them, wouldn't that be something? And same thing for husbands, for the wives. If there was more God in the wives and less of the wife, then th that would be something. And stop looking at each other right now. It's not going to go well yet. But that's the thought, is if there can be just more of who God is and less of us, then there's more godliness that takes place. And that's what we're going to look at in this new series. How we can go from, as the Bible says, glory to glory. That we get better and better. And not that life itself is horrible. Or that we're horrible people. But we just want to do things well. I think we do. I think as a husband and as a wife, as a person, we just want to do things well. But we have something attached to us. Something inside of us that causes us to continue to do things that are opposite of what we believe to do. And that's called our sin nature. The other week we had the Iron Man in Kona. And if you were there, there were just thousands of people. And you had those that are professionals that they're, they're running, they're uh, swimming and biking. And wanting to break their own record and, and do well. And they want to finish. Well, Alexander, uh, Craig Alexander, who was a, a winner, I think he's from Australia. Uh, he finished, and there was something that he put in the newspaper in an interview, and he said that this is the finish I've always dreamed of. Don't we want days to go by, and at the end of it, we say, that was the finish I've always dreamed of. This morning, we want to look at how we can be people who, who live out God's promises. Because God has promises for us. There's a promised life that He has for us. But what does that look like? What does the promised life look like? In your bulletin, you can uh, open it up and there's some notes in there that you can take out and follow along. And by the way, there's an invitation card 
to the pumpkin party. And you can take this and put it on your refrigerator or somewhere where you're going to remember. Or you can give this away and invite a friend or a family member. And this is a way to evangelize or to invite people to a place where they will get a glimpse of who God is. And maybe they won't come to church, but they may come to the pumpkin party. And then through that, they may attend church or find God. So use this as a tool to invite people. And that's in your bulletin also. Now I thought, when it comes to our life and receiving God's promises, we can almost drag ourselves down because we'll look at our past behaviors. We'll look at our past mistakes. We'll even look at the things we're doing now that almost disqualifies us to receive some kind of promise or reward from God. What does His promise look like? What does it feel like? Uh, Does His promise look like a a successful life in the world? Uh, Does His promise look like I get more things or do I make more money? What does His promise look like? Does this promise mean that my marriage will not have any uh, speed bumps in them? That my relationships will always go smoothly? What does God's promises look like? Isaiah puts it in this way just to help us to know where we stand in life. Isaiah 64 verse 6. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So even even if we're trying to be good, even that in itself is just not good enough. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Now, if we're all infected and impure with sin, how can we live a life filled with the promises of God? What does it feel like? What does it look like? Am I there? Do I feel different? How do I get there? Now we're going we're gonna to look at four life decisions that we must make intentionally if we're ever going to be filled with God's promises. And the first one is this, to let God breathe life into me. To let God breathe life into me. For many of us, when we received Jesus Christ, there was a transformation that took place in our life. That something changed inside of us, and it was God breathing life into us. It was us receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then from that point, it's like life was different. But then as the days go by, if we don't continue in that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ, then it's like life gets sucked out of us every single moment of the day. And if nothing is replenishing that life then we'll get drained and drained and and fatigued and burdened with things that we cannot carry. After a while, you just feel like dry, dead bones. And there's nothing we can really do about it except try our very best on our own, only to come up short and still feel dried. But God is the one who breathes life into us. Have you ever had days where you, you accomplish many things, you do many tasks... But that at the end of the day, you still feel dissatisfied. Like something is missing, something is just not right. Then you're wondering, what is that? Uh, Why? You know, I've accomplished so many things. But something is missing. What is it? Maybe you feel tired. Maybe you've done many things and now you're tired. Or you're exhausted. You're exhausted from whatever is taking place in life. Or you feel drained or even unappreciated. And you don't feel like people appreciate you. Maybe someone said something that hurt you or did something and now you're hurt. Or there's resentment there. 
Or maybe, again, because of our sinful nature, we've done something and now we feel guilty and now we're carrying this guilt. We don't know how to get rid of it. Or maybe you feel lonely or abandoned or fearful or you have insecurities or you're skeptical towards God. Maybe someone disrespected you and you feel humiliated. You feel ashamed. Or maybe you're just dissatisfied with who you are today. Maybe, maybe you're okay. Maybe you look at your life and say, I'm fine. I know Jesus Christ. I, I, I have a, a, a good job. My family's secure. Everything's fine. But once in a while, that sinful nature comes up and the things that come out of us, and those things don't satisfy us. Because we feel like, boy, I should know better. I should do better. It's because we're, we still have that sinful nature attached to us. But how does God breathe life into us? If we're saying, God, I'm letting you breathe life into me, how does He do that? How does that happen? Because remember, when, when God was creating mankind, He formed man out of the ground, and then He breathed life into man, and man became a living being. But since then, I wonder if when God breathed... He, when He breathed life into us, that day of salvation, that we've so long drifted from that. And we never let God breathe life into us. Look at what 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's the Word of God. Did you know that if I'm not daily in the Word of God, if I'm not letting this breathe life into me, if I'm not letting God's Word speak to me, then something else will. And if I'm not a part of this, if I'm not letting God breathe life into me, if I don't let His Word speak to me, then I will become exactly whatever it is I'm allowing to speak into my life. I'll become just like it. Whatever it is I'm allowing, I'll become just like that. When it says that God breathed, it means that God blows. He will breathe life into us. And that's the life coming out of His Word. Because all Scripture is God-breathed. We have our bookstore, if, if some of you uh, want to pick up some journals. And what that does is it helps us to read the Bible in an entire year. We go through the whole entire Bible in a year. And it helps us to stay on track with who God is making us to be. And the Word of God guides us. It breathes life into us. And we actually, we have a, a kind of a, a, a format to use that when I'm reading, I'll, a scripture will kind of speak to me. And then I'll take that scripture, I'll write it down, and then write down what I've learned or what I've observed and how I'm going to apply it. And then I put a little prayer there, and we use the acrostic SOAP, S-O-A-P. And that, that helps us to stay on track with the Word of God and having Him to speak to us. Because this is what He uses to breathe life into us. You see, the Word of God is that which God uses to breathe fresh 
life. Every moment of the day. Because there's going to be times where we're going to make a mistake or we're going to be faced with a decision and then we're going to have to think, what am I going to do? Well, who do you think is going to speak at that moment? What do you think will win at that moment? How do you think the promise of God will come to pass? You see, whatever is strongest inside of us will always win. If our spirits are strong because we let God breathe life into us, our, our spirits will overcome our fleshly desires. But if it's not God, then my flesh will always win. Because that's what I'm building. But if I'm building the spirit, then that becomes stronger and stronger. It was in the book of Ezekiel, where Ezekiel was praying, and he came to the valley of dry bones. And so the word of the Lord came to him. It's in Ezekiel 37.4. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to these dry bones, to these bones and say, Dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Now, if any of you went surfing, if any of you ever uh, bodyboarding or, or at the beach and you got pounded by the waves and you're under there and you're just tossing and turning, what is the one thing you're thinking about? Yeah. That's the one thing you're thinking about. And that is just like our spirits. See, when our spirits are getting tossed and turned and, and, and our life is, is in that kind of frenzy, there should be one thing we're thinking of. And that's the breath of God. That's Him breathing life into us. You see, God's Word is air to our life. It's breath to our soul. Let me finish what Ezekiel was doing and, and what was taking place. Because after he spoke to these dry bones and, and after he was speaking to the dry bones, something took place. And I'll continue to read in Ezekiel 37 verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into these bones. Into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And here's what takes place. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now you can look at the beginning of this and say, but that's me, I'm dry, I'm dead, there's nothing there, there's no life in it. But the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord would say, I, I'm going to breathe life into you. And here's what takes place. There's going to be some rattling. There's going to be some noise that takes place, a transformation that happens. But the end result is that you will become an exceedingly great army. Can you see the potential? Even though we may be dry or going through whatever it is, the end result is God's promise of being an exceedingly great army. That's a promise for many of our families here today. That He will breathe life into our family. 
You may not see it now because all we see is the, the sinews being put together or, or maybe even just a dry period and a dry time, a desert time, and you're wondering, I don't see it. Let God breathe life into us. The second thing, you can write this in, is to let God cleanse me. Let Him cleanse me. Because He's going to breathe life. He's going to bring us into a, a, a new life, a new transformated person. But then there's things still inside of us, things that, that we just can't get rid of. That's that old sinful nature, the dirt that is accumulated over a period of time in our life. And there's nothing we can do about that. Now, we may not think we need it, but boy, do we need cleansing. We need cleaning on the inside out. We need our hearts to be cleansed daily. We need our souls to be replenished and cleansed. And we may think we don't need it, but, but I can guarantee you this. If, if you were to think of, of someone in your life who may think they don't need it, I'm sure we could find one or two things that need cleaning. Now, reverse that and go back to ourselves. Look at our lives. There's things in there that we need cleansing from. I was uh, driving my, my car and, uh, I, you know, my car wasn't dirty. It was fine. It was clean. But then I parked it next to my, my kid's car that they just washed it and polished it. Did the rims and the tires and everything. Then I looked at my truck. I thought, my truck is dirty. I mean, that thing is horrible. It's dull. And my tires are dull. Everything looks horrible. Now, I could have looked at that and said, well, no sense clean. I mean, compared to that car, my car is dirty. So might as well just let it go. I could have done that or get inspired by how my car could look. Now, for some... No matter how much polish you put on your car, no matter how much you clean it, it will not shine. That's okay. It should not deter us from making it better. But you know something? We'll look at our lives like that. We'll say, you know, my life is unpolishable. I can't polish up my life. You don't know my past. I'm a broken down vehicle. But God says, that's not what I see. I see the potential in you. I can restore you. I can renew you. I can bring you to a place that you never could imagine. But we must let Him cleanse us. When God speaks to us, it's not so that we feel dirty and that we look at our lives and say, no sense, no sense, clean up. I've already done this. I'm already dirty. Might as well just stay that way. No, we don't, we don't do that. We, God speaks to us and shows us His promises so that we can see our potential. Not go backwards and say, I'm far from there. No. He says, this is my promise for your life. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 51, verse 10 and 11, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You know what God is doing? He's showing us what we could look like. He's showing us that I can have a renewed life. I can be steadfast. I can be unwavering in spirit. I can be in your presence. I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why devotions are so important. That's why getting in His Word is so important. 
because He uses that to cleanse us. Search me, O God, says Psalm 139, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, it's not a temporary thing that God does. When He cleanses us, He cleanses us until the day we see Him face to face. He'll continue to do that, but I must let Him. Did you know that when we refuse to let the Lord wash us, that we cannot have a part with Him. That's a spiritual awakening moment right there. If I don't let Him wash me clean, how can I be a part of what He's doing? That's what He does. And if I don't allow Him to wash me clean, then I have, I have no part with Him. Aside from being in the Word of God... If I just live my life as a Christian and I just attend church but I don't get into the Word of God, then what am I a part of? Am I a part of the world or am I a part of who I think I am as a follower of Jesus Christ? Did you know that for some reason, and it's probably because of our sinful nature, that this is probably for many of us one of the hardest things to do as a discipline? I can watch TV for hours. I can jump on Facebook for days. I can twit, tweet for hours. I can eat for hours. I can watch movies for hours. I can go to the beach for hours. I can drive for 30 minutes. I can sleep for hours. I can, take a, I can do all of these things, but for some reason, this is hard to pick up and open. May that never be so as a Christian. May it be the greatest joy in the world to open His Word and let fresh life come into our soul. Because that's what cleanses us. It's God Himself. Shortly after the chief priests and Pharisees had Jesus arrested, we find that there's a there's a time where right before that took place that Jesus met with his disciples you remember in the upper room and and the disciples booked this room and, and but they forgot to book the servant who would wash dirty feet because that was the custom you know they would have someone who would wash feet that's why if you read in the scripture sometimes there's an issue about somebody washing feet and and things like that well, instead of the disciples taking up ownership and leadership and saying, wait a minute, we don't have anybody to wash our feet because the streets were dusty and, and you would wash your feet before you entered the home. Instead of stepping up and saying who would wash the feet because that was an act of servanthood, they actually started to kind of grumble. Remember they were saying who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus Christ. And, and they were talking in that way. Well, Jesus catches this, and, and here's how it says it in John 13, 5 through 8. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will after this, you will know after this, Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Listen to this. Jesus answered him, 
If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. I mean, talk about that, that divine inspired moment when Jesus says to Peter himself, if you do not let me do this, if I don't wash you, you can't have a part with me. There's not going to be a relationship. It's going to be a religious act of duty, not a relationship. There must be a washing between the Lord and us because He must be Lord, not just Savior. He must be Lord. And because He may not be Lord in many of our lives, something else will be. Something else will rise up as Lord. It'll, it'll come up and you'll watch. Something else is going to guide our lives if it's not Jesus Christ as Lord. He'll be our Savior, but He needs to be our Lord too. Therefore, let God, and you can write this in your third point, let God use me. Let Him use me. And in this kind of way, you know when God wants to cleanse something, He wants to do something in our lives, sometimes we think, oh, i got to get that good first, then I can come to Christ, then I can come to God, then I can uh, serve Him, then I can, then I can step it up. When I finish this and get this right, then I'll do this. And God is saying, no, 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 just let me use you. Just find a, a place for me to use you. Whether it's as a husband, to use you to make your marriage and your family stronger. Whether it's as a wife, to be used as a wife to make your family stronger in such a way that we're used by God. Let Him use us so that in that using, we're continuously almost like a well-oiled machine. You know if you go to your tool shed and you, you look for a tool you've never used in decades, like a plier? That thing is rusted shut. It still looks like a plier. It still behaves like a plier or sits there like a plier. It still has the metallic properties of a plier, but you can't use it for what it was purposed to be used for. Why? Because it wasn't being used. And for many of us, we get stuck in a place because we are not being used by God. For whatever reason. Let God use us because that's what keeps us going. Instead of being used by the enemy... Be used by God. Because if the enemy uses us, then, then it'll make things worse. But let God use us to make things better in whatever area of life, whatever He's asking us to do. All this dirt that I have in my life, let Him have it. He can take it from there. Because what we use in our lives for God, in whatever we're doing, that's what's going to be given back to us. The way I use my life for Him, that's the measure that He uses in how He rewards us or how He continues on in our life. But if I use nothing for God, then He's not going to use me. Look at how the Bible says it in Luke 6.38. It says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So in other words, whatever we're doing for God, He'll always replace that. When you ask someone for forgiveness, it's not like forgiveness runs out and then that's it. When you show love to someone, it doesn't mean your love runs out. No, He keeps replenishing that. That's why we want to be used by God. Because He will continue to move in and through us. Therefore, the promises that come to pass are not what we want. It's really what God wants. 
Sometimes we'll look at our life and say, oh, the promises, the promises would look like more. I mean, think about it. If I were to, if you were to paint a picture of what the promised life looked like, what would it look like? What would you say the promised life looked like? Is it having more? Is it getting more? Is it, is it having a bigger paycheck? Is it, is it having more things? What is it about this promised life that is so attractive? What is it supposed to look like? See, God's desire for us is to get better and better. That's why He says, for the same measure you give, that will be measured to you. In other words, you're not just going to stay there. Because I'm going to keep pouring into your life as you keep using it. And after a while, you get better and better and better and better. One thing at a time. Work on those small things, one at a time. Whatever we need to do to get better. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. There's a process that takes place, are being transformed into the same Spirit from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Where does it come from? The Spirit. Where? The Spirit. It's not going to come from you or I. It's not. We, we don't have enough inside of us to go from glory to glory or to be transformed. It must come from His Spirit. Therefore, I'm going to let God use me. Because it's His Spirit that is being used in and through me. But you might think, but I have so much past of my life, so much dirt in my life. I, I have nothing more to give. I'm never going to change. And we say that. But John 3.30 says different. He says, He must increase, but I must decrease. See, it's more God, less me. If there's more God in my life, boy, everything changes. And when there's less us, it's almost like it's almost like that pristine, shiny, polished car. It's less dirt, more polish to it. And it's not that we're trying to live a life that looks good for God. It's a heart that serves Him and loves Him and does the same thing to others as well as to ourselves. It's more of Him, less of us. And then the last thing, to let God guide me. Pretty simple. Let Him guide us. Do you know He wants to take us into what we call greener pastures? He wants to take us to a place that, that He sees our potential. He wants to take us to a place that, that He designed us for. He destined us for. But we must trust that God knows where we need to be for His promises to come to pass. And for some of us, if we just stop and praise Him, we'll see that there are many promises that have already come to pass that we're living in right now. And sometimes we miss those things because we don't stop to think about what the Lord has done for us. That's why that song we sang earlier, boy, if you catch those lyrics, when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, it makes me want to shout. It makes me want to praise Him. That's basically what takes place when we think about the Lord. Because it is Him. More Him, less of me. No sense think about us. Too many mistakes. Too many problems in my life. I'd rather think about the Lord and say, Lord, my mind should be on you. 
What are you about? What are you doing in my life? I want to be a part of that. I'm going to let you guide me. Now, how does God guide us? Let's look at Psalm 73, 74. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. He doesn't just guide us so that we can do things correctly. He guides us so that we reach that glorious destiny. Who He designed us to be. What He created us for. That's why He he gave His life for us. So that we could have a better life. It leads us to a glorious destiny. When we let God guide us, all things work together for good. To those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's the glorious destiny. Let Him guide us. There's that... There's that and don't get, the, don't, don't get me wrong in this word, but there's that reward at the end. And sometimes we view a reward as a financial thing. And it could be, but it's more than that. I remember when my kids were young, we'd play this game called Clue. And maybe some of you play this, that you would write little notes. And then you'd put it all over the house. And then they would have to find each clue. And then it'll lead to the next clue and the next clue and the next clue. But while they're doing this, I would be putting cookies in the oven. And I would bake the cookies, not really me, I would buy them, cut them up and put them in. But now it's even better, it's already cut up, you just put them in, no big deal. And so I would be finishing this up, and then that last one would say, go to the kitchen for your reward. And then they would come to the kitchen, what's the reward? And they would smell, cookies, you're making cookies. And then they look in the oven, cookies, you're making cookies. Dad, how much did you make, Dad? Uh, I made the whole thing, there's 24, 24 cookies. There's you, there's me, there's Jordan. I'm talking about Jay, my, my oldest was saying this, and Jordan, and mom, four. So four, 24 cookies, four, 24. There's six cookies each. We can have six cookies each. And Heidi would say, I'm not going to eat cookies tonight. <gasps> we got eight cookies each. Oh, they would love it. We'd sit down with cookies, warm cookies, and milk. Oh, you guys hungry now. But boy, I, I, I tell you, it, it was the greatest joy to sit down. Nobody talked. It just... And that's it. But it's like you enjoy that moment. Now, all the way leading up to that, was it a chore? Yes. They got to go hunt for clues. But at that moment, while you're enjoying those cookies and milk, you don't even think about the work that was put into it. Why? Because of the glorious destiny of cookies and milk. Now, when it comes to God Himself, imagine that glorious destiny, whatever it would be. It could be a strengthened marriage. It could be a restored relationship. It could be at your workplace or your finances or your children. Whatever it could be, He has a glorious destiny. That's the promise of God. Don't go halfway looking at the clue and saying, I'm done. Throwing in the towel. And that's it. Don't give in. Don't let... The enemy become victorious before the prize of God. Don't let him. It was Winston Churchill who, in 1941, in October, who was a prime minister of, of Great Britain, visited Harold's school to hear the traditional songs that he had sung there as a youth. And then he also were to give a speech to the students. And in his short four-minute message to the students, he began his closing statement in saying, never give in, never give in, 
Never, 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 in nothing small or great, large or petty, never give in, except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. And I thought, that's what it's about. Don't give in. Especially don't give in to the the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. He's so small. God is just so magnificent. More God, less me. Don't give in. Don't let the enemy have his way. Don't let our flesh have its way. Let the Spirit of God come in and do what He does best. Let Him guide us. Hebrews 10.36 says, Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. Oh boy, it's that patient endurance that we struggle with. It's that midway of all the clues and all the things that are taking place that we say, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Through who? Christ who gives you the strength. It's not going to be us. It's more God, less of us. And sometimes we try so hard to receive the promises of God, forgetting that we're supposed to pursue the promisor, not His promises. As Psalm puts it, 73, 75, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. See, when our hearts desires for Him who breathes life into our souls, then we'll be more pursuant of the promiser rather than just His promises. And when we have that kind of heart, regardless of what the race of life looks like, you'll be able to say that, that this is the finish that I've always been dreaming of. You say amen to that? That's the promises of God. And you can rest assured that when we put our faith in Him, it's not our great faith in God that does anything. It's faith in a great God that accomplishes His promises. You put your Bibles away in your notes. Just to give you a heads up, we're preparing for our pumpkin party because we do believe that through what God is doing through every single person here, that we'll be able to shine His light to our community, that they may see more of God and less of us. And we're preparing for our pumpkin party, and that's the heart behind it, so that people would come to know Jesus Christ. And next week, I think they're building the set this week in here, so you'll see some changes next week. So don't be alarmed. We're not going under renovation. It's just for our pumpkin party, and they're just getting ready for it. Also, this uh, afternoon after third service, we have our pastor's luncheon, uh, which for some of you, uh, you're new to the church and you're wondering the heart and vision behind it. Maybe uh, it's a time for you to maybe ask some questions. Uh, It gives me an opportunity also to meet with you. Uh, But more than that, we get to spend time with each other. And so that's going to happen after third service today at about 12 o'clock. And we're going to have some things in here, and then we're going to go eat together in the courtyard. And if if you've been wondering what the church is all about, this would be a place for you. And then don't forget, next week, there's water baptism. And for some of you who have received Jesus Christ, you've never been water baptized for whatever reason. Maybe God is saying, this will be the time. And prepare your heart so that 
You can let the whole world know that you believe in a mighty God. You believe in His Son, and His name is Jesus Christ. And at that moment, you will specify and say to everyone, it is about more of God and less of me. You pray with me. You bow your heads. Lord, as we conclude this morning, we want to be people who who are mindful of what you're doing in our lives. We want to be people who are close to you. But we also want to be people who are, it's less of us, but more of you. And so right now, Lord, we pray that, that in our lives, in any area that you're speaking to us, that we would be less and less mindful of our own selfish desires and more mindful of what you're doing. More God, less me. That in our families, our relationships, and, and in our work environment, that we would be able to to be the kind of people, the kind of person that shines your light into a world that, that may not understand everything. Maybe still in what we call darkness or still lost or, or still confused, whatever the case may be. But that we would be used by you. Cleanse us. Make us more like you. Speak to us. Breathe life into us today, Lord, as we heard your word. We pray that we would develop the discipline to be in your word then also that we would be used by you and that you would guide us into that wonderful, glorious destiny. Lord, I pray for those this morning that they, don't, they may not have seen what life could be like because they've never given their lives to you. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, I'm going to say a prayer and this prayer just guides, it, it, it helps but you add the heart in there and God will speak. And here's the prayer. You're going to give Jesus your life. And here's the prayer. You can say it out. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I receive your promises. And I thank you for being my Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross and that you rose again to give me eternal life. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eyes closed, just for the private moment, for those that just said yes to Jesus Christ for the very first time, I want to pray with you. Could you just lift a hand real quick, and, and I just want to pray a blessing over you. God bless you, you in the back. The Lord sees your hands right here, right here. God sees your hands. God sees your hand. God bless you. Good. God sees your hand back there. God bless you. Back there. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray that for those that just said yes to you, that they would realize that, that all of heaven is rejoicing. It's like heaven stopped so that, so that they could celebrate this wonderful new eternal life. And Lord, with all of us, we want to have that kind of heart that is more of you and less of us. Help us today, Lord, to be people who live in such a way that it's more God 
bless me. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, Amen.